you remain standing for the reading of the word today from John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews came out, found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you all this morning. Um, as uh, Pastor Fran was saying, we are not from Louisiana. We're originally from Tennessee, my family. And while there are some cultural differences and some word pronunciations that we're just not quite, I'm not quite 100%, I always want to call it Lafayette. Apparently it's Lafayette. That's how you have to pronounce it, apparently. But we do feel very much at home here in this community. And this Sunday marks the fifth Sunday of Lent. And if you are fasting anything, we're almost there. Easter is the home stretch. It's almost here. If you've been fasting Dr. Pepper or chocolate or anything else, we're getting closer. We're getting closer. And this year for Lent at our church, we, we focused on fasting and specifically letting go of something that God wants us to let go of, but also allowing God to cultivate something new within us. You know, oftentimes we will fast something, and then we will fill that hole with something else. You give up Diet Coke, well, suddenly you start drinking Dr. Pepper. Or you give up chocolate, and suddenly you're addicted to Skittles. So this year, we wanted to be intentional about cultivating <coughs> habits that bring us closer to God and closer to one another. Because the season of Lent is a season of questions. It is a questioning time in our lives where we are faced with the reality of death, where we are faced with that we are humans who are fragile. It's a time where we look inward to see where we need the healing, restorative work of Jesus Christ. But it's also a time where we look at the life of Jesus and truly ask questions about who he is, what he does, how he works, and how we might fit into the story of God. And as we get closer and closer to Easter, we also find ourselves getting closer and closer to Holy Week. This narrative that John brings us today in his gospel, this story, it is a story that is in all four gospels. Now the details might be off a little bit, some of the names might be different, and even the meal is different, or the timing within the, the, the narrative of the gospel is different. So we have to be really careful when we have a story that's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we be really careful comparing them. It's like comparing apples and oranges, right? 
Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all tell the good news of Jesus Christ and the hope that we have. But they all were written with different theological perspectives or with different themes that they're trying to get across to their original audience. So as we enter into this passage, let's leave behind the other accounts that you might have in your head and just focus on the piece of fruit that we have here today. This story is almost right in the middle of John's gospel. It's kind of like the hinge to what is next. John includes this story as the segue into Passion Week, into Holy Week. He's starting the countdown to the cross. Six days until Passover, and here's Jesus sitting at dinner with his closest friends and family. This is the pause. This is the moment where you can breathe before chaos begins. This is the time in the locker room before the big game. This is the end of the beginning, whether disciples realize it or not. Jesus is with his beloved friends in Bethany, a few miles outside of Jerusalem, a suburb, essentially, with his favorite beloved friends, Lazarus, Mary, Martha, and the disciples. And if you recall, if you know chapter 11 and chapter 10, you recall in the previous chapters, Lazarus has just died from some unknown sickness. He was sealed in a grave long dead when Jesus finally arrives. And when Jesus does arrive, he mourns with the family, even though he fully knows what's about to happen. And through the last sign and miracle in the Gospel of John, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, showing just a taste, just the slightest little snippet of the power that God has over death. But this sign that is done is not done in secret. It can't be reasoned away like all the other ones. This sign shows, sends shockwaves into the entire region. This is the nail in the coffin for the religious leaders and the teachers and the powers of the world. Jesus has to go. This rebel, this renegade who is messing up with the system, who is challenging and who is just bringing headache upon headache for all the leaders, he has to be dealt with now. A bounty is on his head. Lazarus is even a wanted man. Now Lazarus is wanted. No one is safe from here on out as we get into the Holy Week. And at this dinner table, death seems to be an uninvited guest, a seat at the table that no one's really acknowledging. It's on everyone's minds, and it's their deepest, darkest fears. But death is starting to become a reality for them. And in this moment, Mary is compelled to serve her friend, her rabbi, her savior. She takes an expensive jar of nard, or spike nard, and, and cracks the seal and begins to wash and anoint Jesus' feet with her hands, with her hair. Now, the scent of death is in the air. It has filled the room. She, now everyone can smell it. She took on this position of a slave girl, unbound her hair, which was scandalous, in an intimate expression, she takes this embalming spice that's imported from India that was used to prepare a body for burial. Normally, you started it with the feet. As you would prepare the body, you would start with the feet and work your way up. She takes this precious nard and anoints Jesus. Now, there's no telling where she got it from. John doesn't tell us. It could have been in her inheritance, something that was 
passed down throughout her entire life, something that was precious to her family. It could have been her dowry. It could have been a prized possession that she had purchased, or maybe it was purchased just a few days before when her brother was in that tomb. Wherever it was, whatever it was, it was very expensive. Its worth was untold. And here she is, pouring it out, anointing the feet of Jesus with a precious gift, showing Jesus love. And John doesn't tell us the reaction of the others. He doesn't tell us maybe the questions that Lazarus might have had or, or the remarks or that Martha might have had. We're not told of the, the confusion of the disciples, but we're told of one reaction, Judas's. And anytime you read the Gospel of John and you see Judas, John is very quick to point out and say, hey, Judas is the bad guy. Remember, he's the one that betrays Jesus. It's like he can't help but say, like, Judas, the bad guy. Judas, the bad guy. Judas, the thief. Judas feigns concern for the poor. How could Jesus be so wasteful? That could have gotten a good price that would have fed a large group of people that followed Jesus everywhere he went. Did Jesus just think food came out of nowhere? He interjects his disgust and his discomfort is at an all-time high. Why? How? What? Why would someone show Jesus such an act of love and devotion? Judas's beliefs and his nostrils are offended with this smell, this waste as he considers it, this waste that could have filled his own purse with a few stray coins. And Jesus answers this disgust with a phrase that people often skew and twist. People have used this phrase, you will always have the poor among you for their own devices. But if you were in that room as a first-time audience, if you were in that room as a Jew in that time, you would have heard those words and known that Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy. You would have known, just like you know the lyrics from your favorite song, you would have known that Jesus was quoting something where God instructs the people of God to always care for the poor, that part of their lives, the whole the way that God structured Israel, the way that he structured his people, including us, to live, was to always care for the poor, to live our lives and to live with our purses and our wallets open so that we could care for those who need care, to live open-handed and generously. So when Judas heard this, it would have struck a chord. But this wasn't the issue. Money was never the issue. That's not what Judas was protesting. Judas was upset about the relationship, the love that Mary had for Jesus. Judas saw everything in his life as a transaction. He saw life as a business where if you do something for someone, then they do something for you that is of equal or greater value. He lived in a world where everything was an agreement, where you only saw what you could get from someone. What did Mary have to gain from Jesus? How could she get something in return? How could she get a return investment on this emptying of this precious, this precious treasure? Judas only saw Jesus for what he could get from him. And we'll see that when Judas sees that that relationship is empty, when he can no longer have a return on investment, 
we see that Judas turns Jesus in for what he can get. Judas saw Jesus through the lens of the world, through the definition of love that the world gives us. Whereas Mary saw Jesus through the, the lens of holy love. Mary had a deep relationship and love and worship and respect for Jesus. We don't know what prompted her to do this. He doesn't, John doesn't tell us her motives. He doesn't say what was said before or the conversations that they were having beforehand. But we do know that Mary understood something that the others might have missed. She knew the answer to that question, who do you say that I am? Mary is one of the few who understood that Jesus was more important than her motives, than her opinions, than her plans, than her dreams. While James and John were fighting it out to see who could get a seat at the, at the, at the hand of Jesus, while Judas was worried about making sure his wallet was full and get all he could get, while Peter was busy jumping to conclusions and trying to start a rebellion with violence, Martha was working and serving, and Lazarus was just sitting. Mary, Mary understood. She was a witness to something greater than anything she had ever seen before. And she wasn't going to miss a moment of it. She knew that time spent with Jesus was worth more than anything she owned. She might not have grasped the reality of what she just did. She might not have understood the theological ramifications of what was going to happen within this next week, that they were never, ever going to even get to prepare Jesus' body. She might not have realized that, but she knew that her love, her relationship with Jesus Christ was important for enough for her to pour out. You know, smell is a powerful sense. Some, some people would say that smell is the most important and powerful scent. Because when you smell something, it, it can invoke memories. It, it can take you back in time. There are certain smells that if I smell them, I'm, I'm instantly transported. If I smell the perfume Miss Dior, then immediately I can just, I'm on the streets of London right in front of Selfridges. If I smell Saint by Kat Von D, I'm standing right beside my sister if she's getting married. If I smell antiseptic, that hospital smell, you know, that smell, then I'm, I'm right there at the deathbed and Mr. Budville being praying. If I smell roast in a crock pot and rolls in the oven, I am a 10-year-old little girl sitting at Sunday dinner with my family. You have the same thing. You have smells that bring back memories. And that scent of the nard, that smell of that embalming perfume, it would have stayed with Jesus all week. The next day, when Jerusalem was at his feet, as he entered the city with palms and praise, that scent would have been surrounding him. No mistaking it. Reminding Jesus of this memory. Later that day, when people would hear him preach and and they would begin to speak of blasphemy and punishment, and that scent would have been there. In a few days, when Jesus would to bow down before his disciples and wash their feet as he smelled his own, that scent would have still been there, reminding him of his purpose. Later that evening, when soldiers would come and arrest him, through countless hours of interrogations, beatings, untold pain, 
that scent of the nard would still have been there. As his feet were then nailed to a cross, the soldiers, they would have smelled something a little different than blood and sweat. And as he hung on the cross, when the wind would kick up just right, through gaps of air, Jesus would have noticed the faintest scent, the scent of love and worship still clinging to him, bringing him back to that moment, that expression of love. But it also would have stayed with Mary through all of this. When she walked in with the disciples on Palm Sunday, when, when she held on to her brother and sister in despair on Thursday, when the wind would kick up and her hair would fly in her face as she watched her best friend, her Messiah, her Savior, take his last breaths. And it would have been there when she went to the garden three days later. The faintest, sweetest scent as she met her risen Savior. It would have reminded all who smelled it that this is the scent of love. This is the scent of worship. This is the scent of a deep and intimate relationship with our Lord and Savior. This is how far Mary was willing to go for her love of God. And we hear stories of people who do ridiculous things for the sake of love. I'm sure that you yourself have some amazing stories or even some embarrassing things that you have done for the sake of a loved one, for your daughter, for your son, for your spouse. And we can laugh or turn them into a cute little romantic comedy. We lift them up and we celebrate them. But then we hear stories. Stories of a man who was a millionaire with a huge house and cars. But he sells it to live in a shack in the plains of Africa so that he can share the gospel. We hear stories of people opening up their homes to people who aren't like them, to children who are in desperate need of a family. We hear of people who are inviting their enemies over for dinner. We hear of people that are forgiving after someone has committed a heinous crime against them. We are here of people who are taking a pay cut or even a demotion because they're willing to follow the will of God. We hear of people starting foundations and nonprofits. We hear stories just like the Gideons. Stories of where people are doing untold, unimaginable things because of their love of God. We hear all of these stories and we think, I can never do that. Would I be willing to do that? Would I be willing to pour out the most precious thing I own to follow and show the world the love of Jesus Christ? How far am I willing to go to share my love with Jesus? We know how far our God was willing to go for the sake of love. That is one of the biggest points of the season of Lent. To really and truly realize the lengths that your God is willing to go so that you can have life. God could not and would not leave us lost in our sin and our brokenness and our pain and this mess that we have made. He could not do that because of his love for you, for me, for everyone. Because of his love for his created world, he was willing to plan for years and years and years to become one of us, to, to build his kingdom here on earth, to walk among us, to, to heal and redeem and restore, to set right, to take our shame and our sin, to die on a cross, a horrendous, humiliating, excruciating death, so that we can know how high, 
how wide, how deep God's love is for us. But that wasn't the end. He defeated death, giving us hope, and if that wasn't enough, if, it, if that's not far enough, God did send his Holy Spirit, his very presence, his very presence to be with us, to walk with us, to guide us, so that we would never be without the presence of God. If God is willing to go so far, to do so much, to give so much, because of the love that he has for us, then what is our response? Mary poses a question to us through this story. What are we willing to do for the sake of love? What lengths are we willing to go to proclaim the love that we have for our Savior? Because the reality is, the scent of your love for Jesus, it goes with you wherever you go. And I'm, your life has a distinct smell. And I'm not talking about your favorite cologne or perfume or the deodorant that you forgot to put on this morning. Your actions, your choices, your habits, your words, your life declares to the world exactly what and who you believe in. They are the aroma that you are putting out into the world. How far, how far are you willing to go? How much are you willing to give? How, how much are you willing to pour out so that the scent of your love for God is known? This Lenten season, we are reminded over and over again of the lengths that God is willing to go for us. But we're also reminded how far are we willing to go? Will the love that we have for our Lord cling to our hands, to our hair, like the most expensive bottle of nard, will people be able to smell the love that we have for our Lord and Savior? And this morning, as we are preparing for communion, and as you take and we take of the elements and we go through the liturgy, be reminded, be reminded of just how far God is willing to go because he loves you. And then ask yourself, what is my response? How far am I willing to go to show my love to my Savior?